Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Matt, how are you, bud? I'm all right, buddy. Thank you. Congrats on your book. Oh, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's been, near, well, not even a year yet, but it's out there. Yes. So we should clarify for our friends at home. Matt Trot, his pen name is Jack Daw. Yeah. And uh, we've got our very good friend, Mark Spender, to thank for putting us in touch. Indeed, yeah. Absolutely lovely la- uh, man, Mark. Um, I remember he made a bit of money once and he just gave me some. Yes, I remember that as well. He was um, generous, wasn't he? Yeah. Listen to your audio book. Wow. It was more your army days than it was your undercover working as a um, undercover in a drugs field, which is also fascinating. But you were talking about um, Cyprus. But before you even talked about the army, you were talking about your childhood. Yeah. And I'm guessing we're of a similar age. Yeah, I'm 50 yes i'm i'm 30 ish um, <laughs> but mate life was different then wasn't it for for young totally. people it yeah, was different totally. and and should we talk a bit about that because for all yeah, of us do you remember like certainly on a weekend or school holidays you went out when the sun come up and mm-hmm. that was it you was gone all day you didn't come back until now, I mean, again, I talk about that in the book, don't I? You go out with your mates, you've got a sheath knife on your belt, you go up in the woods on your bikes, you disappear for the day, you come back for a bit of food maybe, um, then you're back out again. And then, you know, the only time you go home is if you've, if you've got cut your hand or something, your mum wants to bind it up for you or something like that. That's about it. You come home covered in crap, you'd get your clothes washed, you'd be back out the next day in the same clothes. Simple I remember, that, wasn't it? yeah, my first sheath knife. Everyone had, but my first pen knife I had when I, I think I was about about five or six, my nan bought it for me. Um, my first sheath knife, I was a bit older, but it was funny, wasn't it? You just whacked it on your belt and you wore it everywhere. You wore it to <laughs> wore it to weddings, <laughs> parties. I didn't go that far. I didn't go that far. <laughs> But mine was so, I love my sheath knife. It, I, I couldn't stop staring at it. It was just such a special, special thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I had a selection. Was, you look you look back now and think, was that, was that weird? But no, it was just normal. It was just normal. You got arrested as a kid. Did, did I remember that bit? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, me and some mates. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to say, talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. So we'd been out um, playing football. With, we was at cadets together and we were out playing football. And then we decided to go up the hill near our house. It's called the Reekin. It's in Telford, in Shropshire. A uh, big, massive hill in the middle of nowhere. Um, and we get there. We dump our bikes in the woods, camouflage them all up. And then we make our way up the hill. You know, we're not, not, we're not meaning to get into trouble. We were just out being kids. We were teenagers, you know. So anything that was left unattended got broken or stolen. That's basically how it used to be um so we we get up to the top where i can look at the view and everything and then down one side there's an old army range hut rifle range hut um and a range that we'd even shot on those kids and we made our way down to there to see if there's any um, bullet heads in the sand 
you know, on the on the butt. So any um, empty cases on the point for us to sort of put together. And it's like a, you know, you've you've what 13, 14, and you've got this bullet. It's, it's a prized sort of find um, when we get there, and then uh, we see this the range hut at the bottom where they keep, keep the targets and bits and bobs. So we smash our way into there because that's just what we did. We were little shits. That's just what we did. Um, trying to nick stuff. And uh, somebody saw us, called the police. Police turned up. We legged it across the fields and everything. Um, could hear the police dogs turning up. There was police cars zipping around all over the place. And it was back in the day. I mean, we were all in camouflage gear because that's how we dressed as well. Uh, it was back in the days when there was like a bit of a, a terrorist threat in the UK still. From the IRA and people like that, and um, uh, they uh, they were everywhere. And I don't know if they thought because we probably looked older than little kids, but you know you can't tell from a distance what was going on as a military target. There's, there's people running around in combats. Um, so, but or maybe it was just they were bored and there was there was nothing going on. But there was loads of police dogs and all sorts. Um, but we ended up getting um, captured on the side of a road because we went on the road. We should have just stayed hidden. With, probably got away with it but we got caught on the side of the road and uh scooped up in the back of a van and taken up into custody um which is a whole different experience for you if you've ever been in there yeah i'm a big believer in the in a short sharp shock not not talking borstal don't believe in that i just think if you get someone at that time when they're in the cells overnight or that's the time when to de deter someone from crime yeah yeah, you know, I think if you put them straight in prison, then it be, they be, start to become that institutionalized learning from the old lags how to do more crime. But it's that when you're in the cells for the first time, you think, "Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah, why yeah. did why did I do it?" I mean, I wasn't overly. I, I don't know what it is. I, I'm a bit numb. I've got numb character sometimes. That didn't really feel scared because I knew nothing bad was going to happen to me there. That makes sense. Um, but what's weird is when they start because of because obviously what we've done was a burglary. Um, they start taking your clothing from you and combing your hair through for glass samples and stuff like that. That's like wow, what's going on here? This is a bit more serious than I thought, you know. Mm -hmm. And you say about the short sharp shot. One one of the guys was with us. I was talking to him a few weeks ago and his dad. And his dad said, oh, well, I went in and asked to keep him in for longer. Can we keep him in for another 24 hours to teach him a lesson? <laughs> but he was obviously had the same mindset as you. <laughs> and it, did you actually get a criminal record out of it? Or did you get... We ended, like, up, we ended up with cautions. because We were just idiot kids. We just played stupid. And it was our first time we'd ever been taught, uh, caught. Sorry, um, And that, that's the procedure. You know, at that age, you just get a caution. You admit what you've done. And they give you that. Come on, kids. Let's move on. Did that, that affect? Did that affect your application later on? No. Um, see, after that, the the cadet instructors, uh, the marine cadet instructors in Telford, really sort of changed the way they were because they were quite, let's say, uh, special characters themselves, and that they were a bad influence, I suppose. But they changed the way it was, and they got us involved in more things, uh, more adventure training, more um, uh, camps, trying to divert us away from getting in trouble. Um, but by the time you get to 17, your, your record's wiped. So uh, it, I, you have to mention it, but they don't hold it against you because of the yeah. Rehabilitation of Offenders Act. Mm -hmm. So they, they, won't, they, they never held me against anything for my whole life.
I've been doing some detective work myself while I've been sat here. Yeah. And I'm guessing you've suffered with back problems. Yeah, because I'm stood up. Because you're stood up and you've got a, a spine behind you. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm a, a, a retired police officer, because of my back. Yes, it's um, it happens to us all, does it not? Yeah. Um, have you had any disc operations? Yeah, I mean, as part, it's in the book as well. It's part of the book that um, the reason that I um, ended up in the situation I'm in now is because I got injured on duty at a football match. Um, the crowd came down on me, knocked me flying, and my back just went out. I ended up with uh, two prolapsed discs, L4, L5, L5, L6. Um, and that's now, um, I've had a microdiscectomy on the L4, L5. So they basically cut part of it off because basically the bulge coming out, smashing into the nervous system. Mm. So I was living in pain for a long time down my left side. I was on morphine, that sort of stuff to sort of control that pain. Um, ultimately, I could never return to frontline duties. So um, after a year and a half being on the sick, having the operation, um, they, they give me a pension, sent me on my way. Yes, yes. Again, a part of your book, like it's like ghosting in my mind. I, I, I know that was the reason you left the football, yeah. the football match thing. Again, it just goes, it must go in one ear and out the other. No, no yeah. dis disrespect. Um, so the army then, it's always fascinating for me to talk about the army because being in the Marines, you're part of the Navy. So it's all, it's all quite different. I'm trying to say the army can be rough as <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> the marines are a bit more uh they got a little bit more decorum I, I, they're, like, they're like the upper class version of the infantry aren't they well uh, i didn't want to say it but yeah. and uh, all the army blokes look like this yeah it's, um... <laughs> we've got limps and funny faces <laughs> yeah. but the worst is it the worcestershire and sherwood foresters regiment Yes, that's right. That, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that, how the hell? Name. Yeah, how does a name like that come about through history? Um, well, obviously, you had the Worcestershire Regiment, you had the Sherwood Foresters, um, and that's like they've been going for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but then it was uh, early seventies. I'm, I'm going to say seventy two or seventy three. They amalgamated into county regiments. So the Worcestershire Regiment and the Sherwood Foresters came together. Mm. And involved with the Sherwood Foresters was the Derbyshire regiments as well. So they're all brought together under the Prince of Wales Division. Same as you had like the Hampshires, the Devon and Dorsets, you know, um, Staffordshires, people like that. They all came underneath that umbrella of the Prince of Wales Division. Yeah, got you. And um, I did an ultra marathon in Sherwood Forest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is, beautiful. yeah. It's a lovely place. But you hear that name in an army regiment and it conjures up... Um, images of robin hood and bows and arrows well i knew you was going to say that but going back again long long time back, i couldn't tell you the dates because i'm rubbish with regimental history um but there was robin hood rifles that was an actual regiment you know and, and there's lots of spin-offs from that within you know like cat badges with that with um uh, oak leaves and uh, acorn on it and things like that there's all sorts of spin-offs from the forest which have been quite um, uh, an influence on, on the names of regiments. And Matt, tell us a bit about tra training then. What Do you do like a communal basic training or do you actually go to the regiment and do your training 
with them? So what what happens is Prince of Wales Division back in the day, the the depot, like the training headquarters, was at Litchfield, um, at Whittington Barracks, and you'd have all. I think, like I said, you'd have the Hampshires, the Staffords, the Sherwood, Western Sherwood Foresters, um, uh, who else? Cheshires. They'd all come together, and you'd like you said, it's all all, all lots of different cat badges. Gloucestershire Regiment. I mean, that's one big cat badge. Um, and you know all these different people would all come together and you do your basic training there mm. and it'd be 22 weeks so you initial eight weeks same as everyone else gets you earn your berry march off the square then you start going on to more work on the ranges battle camps you know one after the other um and yeah just build you up until the end and then it's pass out parade 22 weeks quite a long time yeah yeah then when you get to regiment you get another two weeks because they want like local training to because they're like, well, we don't care what you're doing at depot. We need to make sure you're up to our standards to get further two weeks beast in at regiment as well. And what's the sort of hardest exercise you do for that? And what's the sort of hardest physical test? Difficult to say because in basic training, um, when you're, I mean, with the Marines, it's very different because you do your um, PRC and you do all those sort of things. So you, a lot of people turn up there very, very fit, whereas not so much with the army so you build up your fitness throughout the first few weeks so one of the hardest weeks might be week three because i remember climbing up the rope in the gym shaking like a shitting dog you know and kicking my legs out. i ended up kicking a pti in the face i thought i was going to get murdered um but you know it's things like that um but the actual hardest one i think was digging in on slate mountain in uh, brecon in on sandy bridge and that's like your first battle camp because the weather conditions are so bad, you're covered in mud, you know, and it's freezing. It was February, I think. It was just freezing. It's horrible. Yes. No, the old uh, British weather doesn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Must be different than a US Marine or something. You train in. Uh, On the Pacific it? Coast. Yeah. Or is it Paris? I, I, I don't know. I'm probably being judgmental, but you always get the impression it's, it's <laughs> everything the Yanks do is warmer. Yeah. 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 Mm, yeah. And Cyprus, that it, it, you get posted to Cyprus. To me, that sounds like a massive drinking holiday. Am I yeah. in the right area or was it just boring as hell? Well, the battalion had just finished two years in Northern Ireland, in Omar. And uh, so Cyprus was the next stop. And that was, um, it was a mixed blessing because, yes, you've got hot weather, you've got the hot women coming from Sweden all the time. It's just continual every two weeks getting a new load of people in um, and you can party all year round if you want to but um, the other side of it is, is that young lads need discipline young lads need to be trained especially military lads you need to be you know constantly stimulated and if you're left to just go out and party all the time it's going there's going to be trouble you know there's going to be lots of trouble and there was there was lots of trouble mm -hmm. you know people assaults drinking problems, um, uh, suicides, car crashes, bike crashes. And um, people, we lost more people in Cyprus than we did in two years in Ireland. So, you know, it's there's none of this um, decompression like people get now after the tour duty. It's, here you go, lads, go on the piss for two years in Cyprus. Incredible. And I suppose you've got the whole um, drug scene as well now, which... Yeah, I mean, back then, the, it was the early days of the rave scene. So they were starting to, starting to, that was starting to show his face, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
ecstasy and um, uh, things like that starting to sh- show up. Um, but it was still not prevalent, or knowingly, it was still not prevalent in the, in the military as I saw it from my point of view, because it wasn't something I did back then, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Pretty, I can pretty much tell you it went on, though. <laughs> Oh yeah, no doubt. I've, I mean, I've heard stories since. Those people, you know, obviously smoking weed, things like that, and coke, doing coke and that. But because I wasn't in them circles, I, I was probably just ignorant to it. Yeah, of course, of course. Did you hire like mopeds and that? That's the thing the Marines always used to do is get, get hire mopeds, drive them. I'm guessing after a few sherbets with flip flops and no yeah. helmet on. Well, I had my own motorbike at one time. I, we'd just come back from, um, we, we did four, whilst we were there, we did four months down uh, in the South Atlantic. I was in South Georgia for nearly six months. And we came back from there. And um, of course, I got a pocket full of money. And one of my mates was selling a, an old DT125 motorbike. So yeah, I bought that, learned, learned to ride on the job. So I went up the street, bouncing up and down. And um, uh, yeah, no, no helmet. Vests, shorts, flip flops, that sort of stuff. Luckily, um, nothing happened. I didn't get hurt, but I came off a few times. Um, but one night, I jumped on. I was in Iron App, and I jumped on the back of my mate's motorbike, and we zipped around the block a few times, and he dropped me off. I walked back into camp the next day, and the flag was at half mast, and he'd come off the motorbike that night, and had butted to the, the curbstone, and wiped out dead. Yeah, you get a lot of people die in the military through yeah. through miss mishaps yeah one of my mates was getting chased by by the police funny enough and uh he jumped off a roof and landed on a bloody like a railing spike um we had another couple of lads with train surfing in thailand and the train the train went under a bloody tunnel and yeah took took them out it was um my mate simo who i was we served in Ireland together, um, or Northern Ireland. I get pulled up if I. Was, we used to just say Ireland, did we not? Was Ireland? Yeah, yeah. Across the water. I noticed recently it's more the north of Ireland. They say, don't they? Yeah, it's not but meant to be for friends listening. It's not meant to be a you know derogatory. It's just it's just what we said. You know, when mm. I served in Ireland, but um. Um, yeah, Simo, Simo, I remember being on Sanger duty. He was in the top Sanger with the looking out with his SC80. I was in the bottom op- opening the camp gate and uh, we got back on leave and he he was joining the A38 on his motorbike and bang, he got knocked off. He was he was a goner. Um, yeah, lots of young lads, isn't it? It's that kind of, yeah. it's almost a, a bit of a recipe for disaster but they're looking for that stimulation that's what i was on about they need to be stimulated they need to be disciplined and doing their training rather than just being let loose mm. we had lads would go out and buy like you know 600 cc kawasaki road yeah. bike road bikes serious bits of, and they'd have like no insurance no nothing like that and mm. they'd be bombing around the country that's it. Yeah. I mean, again, in Cyprus, you could get your mobile license for 60 quid. And all you did, you, you rode up around the corner at the test station, come back. Um, they asked you a couple of questions on a, on a, in a book about highway code. And then you go 60 quid. You then go down to the mobile place around the corner and buy the biggest mobile in the shop. Yeah, mental. What was uh, South Georgia like? Because um, 
visited Antarctica a few years back, and I'm guessing it must be must be a bit similar. Well, yes, it's right on the cusp of um, the uh, you've got the South Atlantic, haven't you? And then you've got Antarctica. It's right on the uh, cusp of of Antarctica. Mm. Um, it's it's a scab of rock, nice, and it's covered in penguins and seals, and it smells. Um, but there's a lot of history there. You've got all the whaling stations, and obviously it's where the Falklands War started when the Argentinians invaded. Um, it's, I think, looking back, we could have done more. Again, it's rose-tinted spectacles. There was a lot of sitting around doing nothing. Half the platoon would be out in the mountains doing patrols, and then half the platoon would be in camp doing duties. Um, and you know, you'd you'd be one week on week, one week off out in the mountains, um, and all you did was walk. You know, and but when you were back in camp, you did a few live ranges, which was good fun. That was good fun. You know, we had like we could have three sixty ranges if we wanted, because um, because it's there's no one else there except for us. Mm. But uh, it was it. I think again, you know, there was opportunities to do more. Maybe I was nineteen, I had the wrong attitude and didn't realise they were giving us the opportunities. But you know, it's one of those. I look back and think we could have done so much more. Yeah, were you there in a, a security role then, in case there was another? Another invasion. It was it was just coming up to ten years after the Falklands War, um, uh, so we were. Well, it was less. It was, I think ninety one we went, and um, we were there. You know, I won't go into the full details, but that, you know there was patrols going out and staying out, um, just in case they invaded. So at least there'd be somebody in the mountains who could report back and um, conduct guerrilla operations, as they say. Yeah, and. It it's it's kind of funny because civilians would pay a lot of money to go trekking for a week and <laughs> a week yeah, on yeah. a week off in a yeah. place like that. Yeah, yeah. And we all we did was moan. <laughs> what was your um um what was your northern uh, I was going to say your Northern Ireland tour? Did you say o Omar? That was the first tour. I did three tours in all. Wow! In which places? So my first tour, I did um, the second year of a two-year um, residential battalion at Omar. Um, and then my the tour after that was a few years later with another regiment. I went to the Duke of Edinburgh's regiment as a volunteer and uh, did another six months in South Omar, mostly on um, ARF, Air Reaction Force, out of Besbrook Mill. And uh, then... I went back afterwards um, doing the close observation for two for another six months with my own regiment. Oh, wow. Are you allowed to say what area that was in? South Omar. Oh, South Omar again, bandit yeah, South country. Again. Yeah. yeah. Any excitements during, I mean, I'm guessing there was probably quite a lot if you've done free tours. Did, did you lose anybody over there? We lost a few. Um, first tour, um, we lost some guys before I arrived in country. Um, uh, the, the one guy got blown up. The other two was an RTC. Um, funny enough, well, not funny, but you know what I mean. Um, but we didn't lose that many on the first tour, as I call it, because it was my first tour. Second tour with the Duke of Edinburgh's, um, I recall one. Um, obviously, with ARF, we got called out. It was when we had the uh, 50 caliber sniper, it was that time. Yes, so, I, I thought that rifle was called a Garant, but but it's a Barrett, yeah. Barrett, yeah, yeah. About uh, the the same sniper, I think, was also using the seven six two, so a proper sniper rifle as well. 
Um, so uh, there was a mix of, of contacts at that time. Um, uh, one guy, he, he got he got shot and we, we were on ARF, we got called out. And of course, I had the team medics pack on it, like, you're going down. I was like, oh, no, now it's time to think. Luckily, as we were going over, you could look down, you could see all the bandages out, blood and things like that. Luckily, a Puma helicopter scooped in, chucked him on the back and off to uh, off, off to the um, hospital. Uh, but he didn't he didn't make it. So um, I, do you know what? I can't remember all of them, but there's, there was a few um, during that tour. It was quite quite a. Um, it was a, again. It's a sniper. It was a lot of sniper activity. And then when I went back on my last tour, obviously I, I wasn't in the front line as such as in patrolling. I was more observing. So I didn't get involved in much of that. But um, a friend of mine, he got shot um, through his hand, um, lost a finger and that. Um, but he was quite ill for a long time, a long time. Um, but there was a few, like I said, I can't remember them all. You kind of forget things, don't you? Don't want to go back to them times. Yeah. So Matt, were, were you able to, was it making the transfer to the police then? you got a lot going on there, haven't you? Because first of all, you're in Civvy Street. Yeah. So you've got that thing about you've left your comfort zone. You, 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 there's a lot of issues get thrown up leaving the military. But not only that, you're joining another kind of force where people, there's a different set of parameters and a slightly different set of etiquette and rules and stuff, isn't there? And I bet... I bet coming from a military background, I bet you fought a lot of these. <laughs> There's a few plonkers around here. As, as... There's a few plonkers in the military as well, to be fair, mate. Well, I mean, uh, uh, we we know that. I, yeah. I I just meant that... Um... Let me put it this way. What's your thinking? In the military and in the police, I've met some of the best, nicest people I've ever met. But I've also met some of the worst people. Yes. In both In both scenarios. I think you get that in, in life, but you'd think the police would be full of jolly chaps, all nice and straight down the line. But yeah, some of them are not. Yeah. I think I think it's it, it's changed over the years though, because like when we were in, if there was another regiment in town, you might be down the pub and there'd be a bit of a scrap in the pub. Yeah. It'd be a face to face, hands on scrap. People get hurt, but then you go home at the end of the day and brush it off as a laugh. Yeah. Whereas now with the internet, because we didn't have that back then, um, um, you've had troops that go to out, have been to Iraq, have been to Afghan, and the way they, not all of them, some of the older guys are just as bad, don't get me wrong, the way they conduct themselves is almost like they're on Twitter all the time, and it's just that downpouring of vileness towards other veterans, like you say, mm. or youngsters in training, and they obviously, just, I mean, sometimes you have a laugh and take the piss, but these are kids who are in training, do you know what I mean? Let's give them a chance. Let's build them up. But it, I noticed it on the internet. And, I, you know, I, if I see it, I don't get involved in it. You know, I've been in groups and I've gone, yeah, this is getting a bit much. So I just leave the group or something. You know, it's just it's just vile. It is vile. And um, I don't know if it's because it was Iraq and Afghan that sort of messed people up a bit more. Um, and there, it's a form of their PTSD or something that they're downloading. But it's pretty savage. And... Again, we never had that back in the day. You might have a bit of rivalry, a bit of banter, um, and maybe a bit of fisticuffs in a pub, but not this. Yes, changing times, but it's the way of the world. These I feel a bit patronising saying youngsters, but, you know, 
what they have got to contend with now what and, and they probably think it's normal mm. um it's yeah it's a lot all this social media it's just it's so damaging it's so it's so damaging especially if you don't understand why people behave you know a lot of people just trapped into their egos they, mm -hmm. they've basically never grown up yeah um, yeah so there's still that person that was you know got their berry when they was 18 and and to them that's probably like the most important thing that ever happened in their life or and the only thing that ever happened in their life yeah that then becomes their identity which is a very you know to have your identity in the past is a it's a dangerous it's a wasted way. life it's a wasted life they yeah. say don't they if you're the same person you were um when you're 18 you've wasted your life I th I'm yet to find my identity it's somewhere in the future I'm looking forward to who I'm going to become <laughs> well I'll make sure I use the correct pronoun for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah knob will do <laughs> whatever takes your fancy mate <laughs> so did you have to do a lot of training to join the police or is it kind of they are they sort of desperate for numbers how does all that work so being a thick squaddy, I'd left the army with nothing. Yeah, uh, I'd left school with no qualifications. And mm. uh, then eight years in the infantry, you never really use um, reading and writing and maths. You just don't use it. You know, you do little bits for orders and stuff, but that's about it. And um, when I would first applied for the police, my application got chucked in the bin because of all the spelling and grammar mistakes. I never knew there were so many ways of saying there. You know what I mean? It was two and two. It was like, what's that all about? Uh, and there's a lot of people I see online are like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like that, you know, and it's just the way it is. People didn't, didn't get great educations when they were younger. Um, and so I had to reteach myself all the English, all the maths and all that. And back then, having no qualifications didn't stop me getting into place. You just had to do an entrance exam. So I persevered, took ownership and uh, worked my way through that and um, uh, did the exam and passed it. So then on to the next phase where you have uh, role plays and you're assessed on how you deal with situations in a group and individually. Um, and then it was an interview and then you do 15 weeks training. So um, you go, oh, we went to a place called Wrighton, Wrighton and Dunsmore near Coventry. And that's like a, it's like a military camp, it's a police one. And we did our 15 weeks training there. where you mostly learned law did a bit of fitness you did a swimming test um and a bit of life saving um but i wouldn't say it was hard it was it was um it was more um so what i'm looking for it was hard on the brain more than it was on the body because you had to learn all the laws that you were going to put into practice and you do role plays with them and apply the law that way and obviously each five weeks you do an exam so they could confirm that you knew what you'd been taught. So moving on to your uh, undercover work is, it is quite brave, isn't it? But then again, I, I mean, some of the people you were dealing with, like Yardies and that sort of stuff, the sort of people that would pull a knife and stick it in you, um, that seemed quite frightening. But then, but then to the other side of the coin, there was some sort of like, you know, quite damaged individuals wasn't there that yeah. weren't, weren't yeah. out they were just trying to get by in life and that's they, right they, they, were, would, yeah. they would have just been terrified of you wouldn't they if they'd known the truth 
So the, the the job that I was I was in was actually called a test purchase officer, and the test purchase officer is there to um, assess the availability of commodities, really. So the police would get intelligence in a certain area. They've got a cocaine problem. They've got a heroin problem. They want to identify who the dealers are. Um, so it's not a job where you go in and you buy kilos of gear. You know what I mean? You, you're literally going in and you are going at street level to make purchases to see if the intelligence is correct. And you might pick up on other intelligence, which takes the investigation further up the ladder. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so that's what the role is. So just get, get that clear that people don't think I was carrying rucksacks full of um, cocaine home afterwards or whatever. But um, yeah, you'd have proper dealers, you'd have the proper yardy dealers who, looking back now, they, they might have been trafficked. They might have been doing it against their own will. You don't know. You know, this is this is like your county lines thing, isn't county it? County lines, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it wasn't called anything back then. They were just yardies, and they were all labelled the same, and that's it. Job done. So you don't know, you know, something I'd never considered at the time. Um, nobody did. They were just the bad guys, and we were the good guys. That's how it was. How it was, how it was thought. Um, but yeah, um, brave, stupid, maybe a bit of both. Like you said about young lads, army lads, marines, you all want that buzz in life. So it was an ultimate buzz of, you know, you don't know who I am and I'm buying this off you and gathering evidence against you. Um, and it can be quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's a, there's a few sad individuals you come across along the way and um, you either try and bypass them or use them as a stepping stone to get to someone else. Um, it's just a shame when some people get drag, caught in the dragnet afterwards um, is it a shame maybe it gives them access to help? I don't know. You know, maybe they needed arresting. Yeah, there was there was a lots of bits in your book where because I'm I'm like the op- well not the op- you know I've been on the inside of it all. Um, like I said earlier, like the dance scene for us was just for I'll still chat with my mates about it now. It was just the for for people like myself and i'm guessing quite a lot of us on the dance scene come from quite traumatized backgrounds and the emancipation we experienced through breaking out of what is now called the matrix mm-hmm. uh, and being able to look at the brainwashing that society had put us through really i mean mm-hmm. society would have been happy if we just gone into a call center and spent 40 years there and then quietly died died yeah. with our with our one week holiday a year and one at Christmas slaves. Yeah. And it was a beautiful time for many of us. And the problem I experienced was, was uh, addiction, which is a mental health condition, like nothing to like, almost like nothing related. I, I could have been, if it wasn't a substance, it would have been food. If it wasn't food, it might've been shopping. If it yeah. wasn't shopping, it would have been sex, or you, you know, it, it's addictive personality sort of thing. Yeah, uh, basically, in, if I had to do a very sort of syn- quick synopsis, uh, you know, when you've been deep down traumatized from an age where you can't understand it because you're too young, mm-hmm. what what you do that that intense fear, you internalize it almost like there's something wrong with me because mm-hmm. no adult's going to come, no adult can talk to you about because they don't it, all, all that kind of shit's brushed under the carpet right certainly was in the 70s when i yeah. grew up 
And so you internalize this deep down um, pain. And then even though you don't realize you've got it, you just feel like you're like all your mates, you know, but, but you're different. And the first time you try a substance, you alleviate that pain for the first time in your life because you, mm -hmm. you change your, you know, your, like your frequency of your thinking. And that's where the danger comes in because in that moment, you get to feel what it's like to be a normal or, or what you perceive a normal person feels like confidence, happy, lovely feelings through your body. And that's where the addictive spiral comes in or the addictive pattern of behavior, because of course, why would you not want to feel like that tomorrow? And then the next day, and then, and, and, and then of course the comes downs become worse and worse and worse. So you don't just feel like you did before you feel way worse than that. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. chase the feeling, you chase the feeling. And, but because people don't understand that is what, that is what drives addiction is, is what that little one's gone through. Mm. it becomes like oh open house when when you it just seems to be open house uh, i think there's a there's a there's a double trauma though isn't there there's the trauma um of the individual who's the addict yeah and there's the trauma of the people around them not just family because obviously somebody who's um let's say heroin addict they're going to steal off their family potentially they're going to cause grief for their family not all of them understand not all of them know what's gone through not all heroin addicts have gone through the trauma that you're talking about either. Mm. Um, but then you've got the the waves of the these circles coming out from that stone dropping in the water, the community around them, people who've got to live on the streets around them, the, the houses are getting broken into. And they, they can't leave anything in the garden without it getting stolen. You know, uh, needles being left by the schools, things like that. That's where the negative side of it comes from. And unless we address that society, with safe places for people to do their drugs, even legalizing drugs. Yeah. I've got no problem with that whatsoever because it's firmly in the hands of organized crime. So yeah. take it away yeah. from organized crime. Let's put it on a prescription. Let's put them in a safe place where they can do it. Let's house them. Let's deal with it properly. But until you do that, you are always going to get negativity around them addicts. Same as it with street drinkers. You know, everything is not just the drugs. You look at the street drinkers. I've got them in the village near here. I don't want to sit there and chat to them because the antisocial behavior that's around them. Yeah. I guess people see the behavior and it, and through lack of life experience, don't understand the drivers bit. Yeah. Sort of behind, to, behind to it. To be fair, life's hard for everybody. And I ain't got time for someone else's problems sometimes, mm. you know, or people outside of my circle. It's like, I understand you got problems, but there's not much I can do about that, mate. You know, I'm trying to live my own life. I'm, I'm finding it hard enough every day for myself, never mind having to take on your problems and someone yeah. else's problems, you know? So that's where I think a lot of negativity comes from. And when I was doing the undercover um, drugs buying, I remember going around places and you could get assaulted by people on estates because they, they're sick to death of having drug addicts coming around trying to buy drugs on their estate, you know? So it's not just middle upper class people who are saying horrible things. It's the people they're living with the people in their own communities it's a shame for them because it's not until you can develop empathy in life genuine empathy yeah that, that you understand yourself um yeah. you know and that we're all a manifestation of a, of a of a much bigger thing here and when you when you treat someone else horribly 
or you stigmatize them or or you you you're doing it to yourself you know it's like it's like that it's like having a mirror it's just all going to reflect back on your life sort of um but that's well, lived that's lived experience for the addict isn't it that you're talking from the lived experience of the addict but the lived experience of their victims as well because there are victims as a result of their victimhood well it's they're all victims matt aren't yeah. they you know we're, we're all, all part of that victim trail from that one person mm. they're all they're all victims um i just um i'm a great believer that seek first to understand then be understood and that that's what's mm. removed from the equation that we we're, we're now in did you ever fear for, for your life doing this work yeah yeah a few times three times um i mean every time you walk into a situation your stomach is tight you know it's that anticipation something's going to happen fight or flight or freeze what am I, what's going to happen how am i going to deal with it and whilst you've got those feelings, you've got to gather evidence, you've got to gather intelligence, you've got to maintain your cover story as well. Um, but, you know, I've been chased by yardies. <laughs> um, I've been challenged, you know, bloke got me into a toilet cubicle to do two lines of coke. You probably read about that bit towards the end of the book. Yeah, what? why didn't you just do them? Ooh, ooh. Ooh, <laughs> not a chance, mate, not a chance. You can't. You, for one, you, you don't you end up having to go through a, a poisoning um, a routine. So if I'd snorted two lines of coke, I don't know what's in that. It might not have been coke. For what oh, he could have been trying to poison. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Don't know what it is, um, what it's mixed with, what it's cut with. Um, and also, I'm an evidence gatherer. I was a police officer and an evidence gatherer. That was my primary role. So if I did two lines of coke or I took some heroin or smoked some weed with people, my evidence would be tainted, totally tainted and unreliable. Um, yes. Yeah what you do i you just thought that that scenario it, it, it i i wondered if you was going to get out of it alive and i was thinking why don't you just do it <laughs> if it got to the point where i was not going to get out of there alive unless i did it i'd have done it yeah okay yeah and i get you it you can justify it then life and limb you know yeah. risk to life and limb. you can justify it then but then the then the job would have a uh, duty of care to you when you got back and they would take you to hospital and it'd be like a bit of a decontamination type setup to make sure that you're looked after you're okay because mm. you know i'm not I've, I've taken very few drugs in my life and so snorting cocaine for the first time two good strong lines of coke might have done me damage whilst on the job could be yeah. quite quite yeah intimidating yeah i get that yeah yeah no i was just thinking that it, it's you see the old american movies and tv series don't you and they always dab a bit and yeah rub it, rub it right and i just wondered if that was a, like a thing or it might have been a thing back in the 70s and mm. back in the bad old days because i've i've read books of cops who've done stuff like i've done and i sometimes just pause and go yeah that didn't happen you know sat in someone's living room whilst they're jacking up and um, the mom's making them tea and things like that it's just like that ain't that's not happened that's not happened it's not as you're not let out on a free reign as much or you weren't when i was doing it you were kept on a, you were kept on a on a line um to make sure that you didn't get kidnapped make sure you didn't get killed and that you didn't get poisoned by drugs yes got you you know you're not there to be the best most socializable you're there to get get the evidence get the hell out of dodge mm. did it ever that um, 
the the one thing I noticed is a couple of turns of phrase you used in the book, and I thought, oh my god, I hope you never use that. <laughs> just just slight. Like what? Oh, I can't think off the top of my head. But so when you're like in a scenario and you're playing pool with the guys in the pub, and you're basically there to to get get to the point where you can say fellas do you know where we can score some lines you know yeah yeah or, or yeah. some some snow or, or <laughs> you you wouldn't even say snow although people do no. but you know there's just like a turn there's just certain ways in that life that we phrase things yeah yeah I get that and and you've only got to get one wrong and it's like uh hang on yeah. that's like no, Could no I have was... a grab of your finest cocaine, please, sir. Yeah, something like that. Was that that must have been quite a uh a, 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 I like I like the bit where you said pretend that you've you're the, the dealer, um, sorry, the agent, the police officer you're undercover with, you yeah. pretended that you'd only just met at a rave, so then you didn't have to have any backstory. I, yeah. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, because you've got to remember it all and keep remembering it and a story a lie or a story can only last so long when it's when they dig into it you know what i mean yeah so you've got to keep it simple and have your own cover story did you ever get all time. did anyone ever pull you up on the language did well you... yeah um it wasn't language as much it was it was the yardies in birmingham it was in the back of the car with the yardies um, but i shouldn't have got in the back of the car but they wouldn't talk to me unless i got in the back of the car because they could have just driven off with me um and they had the guy in the passenger seat, he had a bag of crack, you know, like a, like a sandwich bag full of crack, another sandwich bag full of heroin wraps. And I was chatting away to him and I just dropped out because I used to, you know, I'm not from around here, mate, I'm from a different town. I, I'm trying to score, I'm working in the area. That that was the kind of line I went along. And they must have been busted before some, somehow because this guy just went, looked at each other sideways and it was like, that ain't right. He's like, nah, mate, I ain't serving you up. Get out of my car. Of course, I try to push the envelope a bit. Come on, mate, you got it here. I've got the money. Just want, just want my gear. Just want to fuck off, and, mm -hmm. you know. And he was like, "No, get out of the fucking car now!" And oh, fucking prick. And he went, went up like a bottle of pop, and fucking, I'm legging it down the street <laughs> just in case this yard is chasing me with a big machete. Um, uh, but I got away. But it was like um, he didn't chase us too far because it was a big fat. Um, but he was um, things like that can happen happen very easy but that's why when you train to do the job um, you've got to do a lot of background knowledge you know i spend time um, talking to drug users out in the street when i'm out on patrol just chatting to them oh would you call that what's this how much do you pay for them weights and it's amazing what people tell you it's their life you know they live it every day and they're happy to tell you and of course your appearance as well i I'd quite happily sit up on a roundabout in a police car or near a town center and I'd watch people going up and down, seeing how they dress, how they walk. You can always tell when the heroin addict's on his way to score because he walks very fast, short, little short steps in the direction he wants to go for. You know, mm -hmm. you can just tell that that's where they're going to. Um, little things like you pick up on and just emulate it when, you, when you're out in the streets yourself. And, of course, this works the other way around when you're in a club um, because you can be the one that's... I mean, I, I remember my days in the clubs. Everyone's eyes were wider sorts. As you, you took on this, you took on this certain like color of the blood in your face, and the, the combination of that and a bit of sweat coming yeah. coming down. I'd imagine it'd be it, quite hard to be straight in that scenario and and blend and blend in. Did anyone ever like pull you on it? 
you've basically got to be like a professional actor. You could be an actor. You know, one of the undercover guys who was teaching us was saying, you are now becoming professional actors. You're getting paid to act. So I've, I've done my clubs, like I said, it's, it's, in, it's in that world. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you just, you, you're not drunk or off your head or anything, but you're doing the dancing, you're talking to people, you're, you're being in that zone, if you like. And nobody ever picked me up in the club. Nobody. No. That sort of stuff. And it got served up straight away like that every time. Yes. Matt, listen, your book is uh, called Hard Stop by Jack yeah. Daw, available in Kindle, audiobook and paperback. That's correct. Uh, I'm guessing uh, the old Amazon is the easiest. It's the easiest one, but it's available at all the other ones because I know some people don't like buying off Amazon. Yeah. It's W.H. Smith's, Blackstone's. Go on the internet, you'll, you'll be able to search it and find it. It's yeah. out there. We'll put uh, we'll put a, um, any link you want us to put, Matt. We'll put it below the video, and we'll put a link where you can grab a copy, folks. Uh, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been um, a pleasure. Glad you're still here in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> Only just yes, and um, and uh, another massive thanks to to Mark for putting us in touch, folks. If you can like and subscribe, really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you for the next one. Thank you. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.